Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. That's a good place to begin. Lord, we thank you that you took it upon yourself and went on the offensive. You arrested death. We were a people without hope. We were at odds with one another. And as we just heard from your scripture, you made us one. You drew us to yourself. You have made us your body. Lord, I ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would plant good seed in our heart that will accomplish and prosper in the very thing that you sent it to do. And Lord, I pray, may our hearts be overflowing with your love and gratitude, not only for what you have done for us at the cross, but for what you have done in reconciling us to one another. That we can be a body, a living body, a lively body, lively stones expressing your love as you created each one of us to be. Thank you, Lord. I give myself to you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so continuing on this morning under the, the topic, the third, the third in the series on discord now. Let's start with a, a familiar portion of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a set of lengthy verses there, starting at verse 12 to verse 27. You're familiar about where he talks about all, all the members being in necessity, that they're all important. And um, what I'd like to do is pick it up at chapter, excuse me, at verse 18 and then read to 27. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another if one member suffers all suffer together if one member is honored all rejoice together now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it 
I entitled today's message, What God Has Joined Together. Now, we hear those words in terms of a marriage ceremony, but I think it would is pro appropriate to take those words and apply them to ourselves and our relationship to one another, <clears throat> excuse me, as we are the body of Christ. And in this set of scriptures, there are several things that I want to draw your attention to, and I want to underscore it again by saying this, what God has joined together. That is no small thing. Sometimes I, I find myself, I hear or I read something, and it just goes right over the top of my head. But <clears throat> I want to challenge you to just in your, after today, in your quiet time, just ponder that for a moment. What God has joined together. I have been in some churches where, you know, when we do the meet and greet here, it was like sitting with a bunch of ice cubes. Turn to the person on your left. Glad to meet you. Glad you're here. I want to tell you that from my observation, as much as I can see, that is not the case here. We are lively stones. Each one an expression of God, purposely designed by Him <clears throat> to be connected <clears throat> excuse me, to one another. Everyone having an individual expression, but everyone having a purpose. And I'll touch on that in a minute. But that is a supernatural thing that God has done. That is a miraculous thing. That is a powerful thing. I'm making a point of it because so many times <clears throat> I think about something for the moment and then I just go on. So let me ask you a question. What, what expectations do we have? What expectations do I have when we get together on Sunday morning? Do I come in my own little world? I have to admit there have been times when I do. But God has really been stretching me. God has been working with me. God's been kneading me, if you will, like bread to think outside the box that we are a body. And I just want to say, I want to highlight some things in this passage purposely again. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. God arranged. And in digging a little deeper, it's not like he was doing it under stress or laboring in the King James, it says it pleased him. He had an intention to do that. The second thing that I would say to you purposely is that each one of you is indispensable. 
If you would read that entire set of scripture, and I just read beginning of verse 12, he makes the point. But I want to say, you are indispensable. I don't care if you think of yourself as a spleen, if you think of yourself as an armpit, if you think of yourself as an ear, you are indispensable. Don't think for a minute, oh, let somebody else do it. What do you think it would look like in the body of Christ if everybody had that mentality, let somebody else do it? How far do you think you get going on one leg or one arm tied behind your back or with your eyes closed or only one ear? We put ourselves and the body of Christ at a disadvantage if we give place to that lie. And there is no age barrier. I don't care if you're a child or if you're older than dirt. (laughs) I had to make the point. Thank you, Mike. But God is not a respecter of persons. And so part of what I want to do today is challenge each one of us in our calling as members of one another, members of the body of Christ. I have to tell you over the last weeks and and hearing about discord and what Tom defined as severing of the heart, what I pictured was a meat cleaver, just boom. There was nothing pretty about that. There's nothing pretty about discord. Nothing at all. And how I have to believe that that and the scriptures that were shared in the previous messages breaks God's heart. And so in going into today's message, I do not want to come down on the problem side. I want to come down on the solution side. So as I prayed and replayed past messages pertaining to this, there were some things that the Lord highlighted to me. And the first one is proclamation. You know, when when I was listening to this, I, I was thinking about, my mind was focused on discord, and then I heard Tom say something, and it triggered, aha, proclamation. So this morning, part of what I want to do, have the privilege of, and that you have the privilege of, is that we proclaim God's word into and over our congregation and over one another. That is powerful. It's not a nice little flowery saying that you can put on a bumper sticker or hang on a wall. God's word is living. It is active. When God spoke, it happened. When God says it, he says it will not return void. It will prosper in the very thing that he sends it forth to do. So we as a body have an opportunity to speak into one another's life. We have a privilege to speak into one another's life. If we really believe that, my goodness... 
But I also want to be careful to say that while I have not sensed any discord, that doesn't mean that the enemy isn't out there looming to do his dirty work. We need to be sober and vigilant. He walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So in proclamation, I like what Wayne shared some weeks ago. He said, proclamation is the declaration of any supreme magistrate. Now I want to change that to just this. Proclamation is the declaration of the supreme magistrate when we take the scriptures. Proclamation is the declaration of the supreme magistrate, magistrate publicly made known and is complementary to the more specific term evangelize. It is often translated preach in the New Testament. As one reads through the New Testament, uses of proclaim, one might say it means to speak forth. Proclamation is powerful in a number of ways. When spoken with faith, it brings God's power to bear on a situation. It also plays an important part in transforming our minds to be like Christ. I can't help when I think about bringing power to bear. I, I have this picture of these mighty turrets, these gun turrets of the USS Missouri being turned to a specific target. And I'm just saying that in the representation of power, the power of God's word. Bringing his grace, bringing his love, bringing his presence, bringing his promises to bear in whatever as it pertains to us growing as a body. Tom said, when we proclaim the word, we're invoking God's presence into the situation. That's good. I wouldn't want it any other way. My words are nothing. God's words are everything. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. Not one jot, not one tittle. The power in proclamation is agreeing with God. Just one other thing. The alternative, Jesus spoke about this. He said a house divided will what? Will not stand. There's the outcome. A house divided will not stand. In this set of verses that but God so, has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. And then he says, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The same care. 
So how does that happen? The same God who joins us together is the same God who empowers each one of us in that same way to love one another. That is powerful. What God has joined together. And last, not that someday we will be, we are right now the body of Christ and individually members of it. The second word was combat. And uh, so I, I thought I will go to a, uh, I will go to all-knowing Siri. In case you don't know Siri, that's the iPad thing. Anyway, it was handy that she gave me this definition. Combat, to take action to reduce, destroy, or prevent something undesirable. I like that. And what I, what I felt the Lord was saying, let's go on the offensive. If I had a nickel for every time that I had heard in a sermon about the world creeping into the church, I could take us all out to lunch and then some. Downtown to a fancy restaurant. If I had a nickel, I could buy myself a brand new pickup truck. But I just wanted to make the point, if I had a nickel for every time that I had heard that, and for those of you who are familiar with chess and that it's a strategy game, I don't know of anybody that has ever won a chess game when their position has been of one of defensive posture. Because you're going in the wrong direction. You're not going on the offensive. And, and so in today's, today's message, what I believe is that the Lord wants us to go on the offensive. And so the word combat, to take action to reduce, destroy, or prevent something undesirable. I like that, to prevent. That's preventative maintenance. And you know what? In our journey with the Lord together, there is never a place where we reach a plateau. Okay, we're there. We can hang out. That's it. Oh, there's no plateau. We either, we either go forward or we fall back. There's no middle ground. But I tell you, if we are going forward, we don't have to worry about going backward if we're going forward. Right? If we're going forward full throttle with the head guiding us and directing us and giving us input into our care for one another and every joint supplying, we don't have to think about going backwards. And when something undesirable tries to rear its ugly head, guess what? What's wrong with that picture? No. 
First Peter chapter 1, 13 through 14. Um, this verse says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. In the King James, it says, Gird up the loins of your mind. I like that. Being ready for action. That doesn't mean that there has to be an incident or a battle right there, but that means that we're at the ready. You know, if we have the Word of God treasured in our hearts, that Word, that word does not doze off and go to sleep if we're implementing it. It's like a watchdog. It's like Louie. There's a verse in Psalm 119 that says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. God doesn't slumber or sleep. When he brings a word to your mind, he can do it anytime, day or night, but there's a purpose and there's a reason. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. I like that. I don't want us to be caught with our robes down. First Peter chapter two, um, excuse me. First Peter chapter one, at verse uh, starting at verse twenty-two, we find these words: "Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth." That says something right there about the word of God actively working if we let it. That's what I so like about Psalm 119 and marinating in it. Or letting it marinate me, I should say. But here it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That's powerful. That's not us changing ourselves by pulling ourselves up. That's not me trying harder. It's me implementing what God said. It's God giving the grace to walk in what he's promised. Having purified your souls by your obedience, making the choice, the deliberate choice to the truth for sincere brotherly love, loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. I like that word, earnestly. It means to not relaxing in effort. That's what that means. Not relaxing. To me, that is, that's passionate, that's intense, that's commitment, that's purpose, that's willful intent. That's good. That's how he sees us. That's how he sees us as a body. That's how he wants us to see one another. And to do that, to love one another fervently. But I have to tell you that on any given day, in the blink of an eye, things can turn on a dime. And so, the place where I work, I've been there 28 years, and in that tenure that I've been there, thank you, Lord, we had a vice president named Bruce Earls. At that time, I was a supervisor, and Bruce, at different times, he'd walk through the shop floor. He would talk to different people. One day, he, I saw, I noticed uh, he was talking to somebody, and it looked like they had a cordial, friendly conversation. He was all smiles. He came down to me, started talking with me, and do you know 
he started ripping on the guy that he just talked to. Ripping up one side and down the other. I thought, oh my gosh, what just happened to me here? I felt like, you know, the car going through the road and there's the mud puddle and you're on the sidewalk and the car goes through that puddle and... That's how I felt. I had a few words in my mind for him, but I thought, you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're a vice president. This is how you think of your employees? And for all I know, after he shook my hand and talked with me and said those things, he could have said the very same thing about me going down. But I tell you this, he may have thought he'd done that in secret, but I've learned something. As a boss, how you conduct yourself will, will, not maybe, will reflect in your, your company, your crew, the people that work under you. There's no getting around that. I do not want to work in a toxic environment. I tell you that, I know I say this, that when we do our meet and greet and it's not going through the motions, but I watch, I look, and you know what I see? I think there is a lot of spiritual dynamics taking place there in that meet and greet that demonstrate and express God's love and care for one another. And I look forward to getting together with you and with the Lord because on any given Sunday, how is he going to interact with us? How is he going to manifest himself? What is he going to do? And at any time, I just marvel how God responds. That is a big, big thing. First Samuel 18, 6 through 9. This, this is, oh, before we go on there, hang on. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brethren. Let me finish that set of verses up. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. We have a new nature. It's not decayed. It's not perishable. It's imperishable. Through the living and abiding and abiding word of God. That's why we're able to love one another. Because he is the wellspring that never runs dry. God is love. That's who he is. He can't change that about himself. And when he puts that seed, when we choose to let him put that seed in our heart, that will transform our thinking and how we view one another and look at one and each other and going forward, how to strengthen one another. I just want to say in 1 Samuel 18 then, 6 through 9, here's a familiar story and this is what happens after this victory. You know, after David slew Goliath, I would have expected... I would have expected the next set of scriptures to talk about there was Mary in the camp, God arose, his enemies were scattered, the uh, Philistines were on the run, and 
while there was just a oneness and everybody celebrating the victory and go on and so forth. In the, in the blink of an eye, Okay, I'll read it. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gives you something. But that's okay. 1 Samuel 18, starting at verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. You know, that's, that's just a time... A testimonial, if you will. God defeated the enemy. I would have thought they're all on the same page here. And the women sang, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. What just happened? What? What just happened? Here was a victory. And Saul chose to take up an offense and say, no, I didn't get what was properly mine. I'm throwing a hissy fit. Here is my opposition. And if you read on, it did not end well for Saul. In the very next verse, it says, an evil spirit from God came upon him. But I just want to say this. I think Saul, putting himself in that place, opened himself up. So with us, we have to guard our hearts in the blink of an eye. A while back, Tom had shared a message and in his message he was talking, uh, he, was, he shared a little story about James McDonald. James McDonald, a minister, was talking about being willing to give up our opinion for the sake of unity. He stopped, put his hands on his hips, and loudly asked, What? My what? That most holy of all things, my opinion? If we were really honest with ourselves, I think it, at one time or another, we've expressed that same kind of reaction when our opinion is challenged. And I have come to learn that opinions are a dime a dozen. There's only one voice that matters. There's only one vote that counts. There is only one who has the final say. And whether I like it or not, I can come down on the problem side or the solution side. What kind of outcome do I want if I choose the wrong way? 
And I had to make a choice in the time that there's more to this, that, you know, when God joins us together and we do have opinions, you know, it's not like we're just easy interlocking pieces and we just kind of mesh together. You know, there's edges that have to be rounded off. God has to, God does things in ways where he puts us in situations where he brings us together that if we are members of one another and he is the final say, God work in this situation through us to reveal and speak to us your truth in this matter. I don't even like saying the word opinion for that very reason because, oh, it's my, just my two cents. But what I, what I do feel is that when, when I, like the elders and what Wayne shared not that long ago, I believe that each one of us as elders, when we come together, we're like jigsaw puzzle pieces. We may have a little piece, but God takes the whole portion of us, brings us together, and puts a puzzle together. So I would submit to you, as a body, that's how we are. God, in his love and grace and joy, equips and empowers each one of us to do a specific task. And then when we come together, wow, what a work, what a supernatural work. This next, this next thing uh, in terms of being on our guard and in the blink of an eye, this is a film clip from one of my favorite shows. This is Hogan's Heroes. And in this, in this clip, this um, Colonel Hogan is sitting down with a Gestapo agent. There was a team of three agents here. And... They boasted, Major Hochstetter boasted, that they could crack any prisoner within an hour's time. And, and so Hogan comes up with a plan and he, gets, he, digs up, he digs up information on each one of these Gestapo agents. And... I want you to see how this unfolds. Turn it up. Do I have to be I thought you were nothing but a vicious person. 
Okay, Zadok. Okay, it makes a point. It makes a What just happened there? Who was, who was the perpetrator there? Yeah, and what did he do? He did, and do you see how he got... He, he went in there like pushing a snowball downhill and then he backed out. And then here they're at it, one on the other. They've got their guns. They've got their, I won't say claws. They've got their fingernails. They, their the back's on their hair up. Their hair's on their back. But you could see how they turned on one another just like that. Isn't that just like the enemy? To dig up something they didn't see what Hogan did. They assumed the worst and pow! The fight was on with one another. And that's just what the enemy loves to do. And the damage is done. And he remains undetected, off on the sidelines, rejoicing that he did his dirty work. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The outcome is no matter what, what part you are in the body of Christ, you are indispensable, you're important, God sets you in place, and the outcome which we see here when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is a tremendous statement with a great outcome because it's all under his orchestration. It's not that we do our own thing. It's under his headship. Anybody know the definition of synergy? To produce a combined effort greater than the sum of their separate They're separate parts. God is on the move. His love is active 
and actively working through the Holy Spirit. And so, in going on the offensive here, I just wanted to share some scriptures as to how powerful that love is. First of all, in first, excuse me, in Romans chapter 8, it says that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And that there is nothing in this universe that can separate us from God's love. In 1 John chapter 4, it talks about perfect love casts out fear. In Romans it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In 1 Peter 4, 8, this verse has been said a number of times, but I, th- I want you to just think about these words. It says, above all, love one another, keeping, keep loving one another fervently since love covers some sins. Uh, think about that word multitude. Just think about that for a minute. That love has the power to cover a multitude of sins to bring about a different outcome, a multitude. It makes me think of that verse that says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. It makes me think about that song that, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but he says, the grace that is greater than all my sin. If I were, oh man, just thinking about that, all my sin in my entire life and God's grace is greater than all the sins of my life. That's the love that's at work in you and me and his joining us together. His love is, is active in each one of these verses. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, the familiar set of verses there, his love is active. It's not, nor will it ever be passive. It's active. Consider I want to just tell you a little bit about our home group. Not that long ago, we had a dinner. And uh, I think I'm in safe ground in saying that when we went to that dinner as a home group and when we came, when it was time to leave, I felt that everyone in our home group that night was blessed. We had a dinner. There were, there were, there was an individual who prepared that dinner and went all out. And I could see the creativity of God and the expression of God and the love of God and the spiritual dynamics that unfolded that evening. So in saying that, I want to make a plug for the home groups, but I want to make a plug in terms of an environment where there were a lot of spiritual dynamics that took place, just in breaking bread and in the course of that evening. We, we prayed together. We laughed together and I think sometimes we don't do enough laughing we don't do enough rejoicing 
It says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So the fact that I got you to laugh and putting up one of my favorite programs about Hogan's Heroes, I think I accomplished something. But a greater truth. And, and you know, in, in, in the breaking of bread, there were other spiritual dynamics that came into play. We were hearing one another's heart. And what I purpose to do is when I'm talking with somebody, I'm listening with one ear to what they're saying, and I have the other ear positioned to what God wants to tell me on any given time. There are times when I can just walk down the aisle and say, hi, how are you doing, and just keep on walking. No, if I have purposed that if I'm going to stop and talk to you, I'm going to find a way to connect with you. Now, I know I can't be intimate with everybody, but that's okay. But if our paths cross, and if I'm a member of the body and you're a member of the body, I want to find out how you're doing. You're important to me. You know, it reciprocates. And I, try, I find a way to connect. And then I want to hear what you want to say. What's important? What's, what's coming out in the answer? What's the heart behind the voice? And then I'll follow up on it. We came away, each one of us that night, being loved, having a sense of being loved. I wasn't looking for a gift. I got a gift. Everyone in our home group got a gift. And I want to make a plug, if you will, for the five languages of love. Because they are important and they do come into play. You know, if we're a body and we mean it, we're going to spend time together. And we do. I'm not saying that we arrived, but not, let's not back off. Let's go forward. There are words of affirmation. There is time. There are acts of service. They're powerful in their own way. And sometimes you may have more than one love language that, that really touches your heart. Receiving gifts and physical touch. Think for a moment about David's men. You remember David's band of men that he had with him? One day, David expressed a desire that he wanted a glass of water. Not just any glass of water. He wanted a glass of water from a well. And where do you think that well was? It was in the enemy territory. Now you would think that his men would have thought, man, come on, it's a glass of water. Really? You can't just have a glass out of something here in camp? You got to have that water? Now, it doesn't say that. David made that request, that longing. I want that glass of water. His men did not think twice about going in enemy territory at the risk of their own life to get a glass of water? What does that say about the depth of commitment and love 
that David's band of men had to David. Honestly, I would like to have been a fly on the wall when David poured the water out and didn't drink it. He said, I can't drink it. I would have thought, what? We just went through all of that. And you do what? No, that wasn't their heart. Their heart, their heart was, their heart was to do this for him at no thinking of personal life loss or injury. If he wants it, we're going to get it. And that's the intent of heart and commitment and the, the oneness of heart that they had. Just an, another th thought here about David. You remember when Saul was in the cave and slept for the evening, slept during the night, and David's men came and said, look, the Lord has given Saul into your hands. Slay him. Take him out. Do you remember what David's response was? Saul and all that had gone on. David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Wow. What a statement. To me, that was a statement of respect. He was an enemy. His men said, go and take him out. David showed respect. Just a word for each of us individually. When Jesus looks at you, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. When Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church with a man on a mission, Jesus didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting this person or that person? What did he tell Saul? He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That says something about Jesus' depth of love and commitment to each one of us as his body. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, it says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but it says, encourage one another and all the more as you, day, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now consider when those words were written back then and now where we are now. I tell you that with, with the God of love, the, the one who, whose love never fails, never gives up and never runs out on us, that we have opportunity to express, to demonstrate, and I would dare say, ask God for surprises. How can I bless this person and encourage them? as a part of the body. I tell you what, there a divine surprise from the Lord. It could be as simple as a thing of Ted Drew's. I'm just saying. <laughs> it could be it could be a meal. It could be you know what? You did this at church that really blessed me. 
We need to hear that. So in closing, I want to pray for God to stir our hearts and that we never see one another in the same light again, but in a good way, that we see one another the way that he sees us. And that you have a new nature. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says he has called us you could say invited us to his own glory and excellence. He never, he never did anything halfway. If he extends the invitation to call us to his own glory and excellence and gives us exceeding great and precious promises, that's an offer we can't refuse. If you are given an invitation, what's required on your part? To accept it. Who, I like what Tom said. Tom said, everything from God's side of the fence has been accomplished. And now it's to take him up on that and to accept it. Let's go on the offensive my brothers and sisters, let's, let's go all out. And let God, who has birthed us and given us a new nature, let us purposely make it our aim to love one another fervently because we are members one of another. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for every person represented here. I thank you that you have called us and that you have made us one. I thank you that you have made us and called us your body. Lord, the words that have been said today, let them stir in our hearts. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us and may we increase and abound in fervent love towards one another. In Jesus' name, amen.